week on Medical Minefield. With physicians associates, I don't think you can quite appreciate what you don't know in a two-year clinical skills course. You know, you don't have the breadth and the depth of knowledge that a doctor would have. So you end up with this precarious situation where you have an abundance of confidence, but then a relative scarcity of competence. And that creates a really dangerous precedent, actually, for someone that is acting beyond their means, beyond their scope and beyond their knowledge, referring the repercussions. Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman. And I'm Ethan Ennels. And we're health journalists, which means we spend our lives asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week we're asking, are physician associates who were meant to ease the NHS crisis simply making the situation worse? As ever, we'd like to know what you think, so if you've got a question or a suggestion for us at Medical Minefield, tweet us at MedMinefield. So the background to this for people who aren't aware of what physician associates are, they are medics who um, in June the government announced uh, would be a solution to all the problems the NHS is facing. These uh, these workers have a background in science, so they might have done a biology degree or a sports science degree and they do two years training and then they go on to wards or into operating theatres even and assisting anaesthetists and into GP practices um, and they, they're they supposed to assist doctors. However, Ethan, you have been discovering or, or following the growing concern that they, uh, amid these staffing problems that they're supposed to plug, uh, are being forced to overstep their role and are taking on the roles that doctors are supposed to fulfil. Yes, exactly. There have been a number of high-profile cases now where a PA has got, PA, that's short for physician associate, has has got involved in diagnosing and treating and sometimes even prescribing for patients, which they're not meant to do. So, So what are physician associates supposed to do exactly? So... We got the idea from the US, they're also used in some countries in Europe like Germany, and they're basically assistants. They are there to help write up notes, they're meant to take your medical history, they might help do something quite simple like check your blood pressure or instruct you on how to carry out a urine sample, stuff which a doctor can do but is probably better suited not doing. It Mm. creates more time for the doctor to spend with the patient one-on-one. So, so, you know, for instance, when you go into an A&E, there's a kind of, uh, you know, there'll be an, a nurse who's perhaps not the most high-qualified nurse in, in the building, and uh, they will take uh, details and triage you and put you into different categories as to whether or not you... It's, mm. it's that kind of thing, isn't it? It's, yeah. It's helping the running of the system rather than treating patients themselves. And it comes from this crisis where we don't have enough doctors in NHS. Right, thousands too few GPs. Yeah, the uh, waiting lists of eight bazillion, gazillion million. The British Medical Association estimates that we need another 17,000 GPs to plug the hole in the system. I think the number of hospital doctors estimated to be around 40,000 that we need. But this, I mean, ultimately, you mentioned this, and, and this is where the, the nub of the problem comes. Uh, you know, we have tens of thousands uh, of, of uh, we're tens of thousands short of qualified doctors. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I was speaking to a doctor earlier this week who said that when we think of junior doctors, we think 
of them is quite inexperienced, but the average junior doctor has been in health service for about 10 years. And then we compare them for physician associates who have two years of on-the-job training. Um, and then after those two years, they are increasingly, it seems, being let loose into the hospital system, often unsupervised. So they're meant to be supervised. But what that actually means is it doesn't mean there's a doctor sitting in the room with them overseeing what they're doing. It means that once a day, maybe once a week, the doctor will go over their notes of them and check that they've done everything correctly. Mm. But that's it. That's the only insight the doctor gets into what the physician associate is doing. And we've become aware. I mean, there was a, there was a famous case of a of a young woman who was misdiagnosed. Uh, what was the case? So last year, Emily Chesterton. She was a North London actress in her early thirties. She was complaining of headaches. Um, she went to the doctors. She thought she was seeing a GP. She was seeing a physician associate. The physician associate said she probably had long COVID and was anxious and suggested she take anti-anxiety medicine. She already had a prescription for anti-anxiety medicine, so she didn't have to get a new one. But she went back and took these pills and then sadly later on died of a pulmonary embolism. So a catastrophic bleed. That case got a lot of attention and the physician associate involved was fired and the practice said it would no longer use them. But there have been other cases too. And we uncovered one last week. Uh, We spoke to the partner of a man called Norman Jopling, who was 79. He went to his North London doctor's surgery, complaining of piercing headaches, which been going on for months. Uh, They sent a physician associate, sent him to physio for neck exercises because he thought it was a tension headache. He never saw a GP again after that because the physician associate had passed him on to a different uh, area of expertise, the physio. And three months later, this August, he was admitted to hospital with a severe brain bleed. And he's only just come out of hospital last week. His wife is distraught. She's obviously happy that she he's still alive. But she is so confused at how this situation happened Mm. you know when we spoke she couldn't understand why someone with so little experience had been allowed to treat her husband on their own and i mean of course you know someone might argue that uh you know something non-specific like a, a headache or you know uh anxiety type symptoms in someone with a history of anxiety um you know these non-specific symptoms could be misdiagnosed mm. by a GP or a specialist, and we hear stories all the time. You know these rare cases, which are horrendous. Someone goes in multiple times to their doctor complaining of X or Y, and then it turns out they have terminal cancer, and it's too late. Yeah, it's all GPs, all doctors make mistakes. If you ask any doctor, you won't find a single one who claims they haven't made a mistake before, and it stays with them for the rest of their life. The difference is, though, is that they are regulated. So they are held to certain standards, and they are regulated by the GMC. And the GMC will call you up if you have made a mistake, and they may even you know, throw you out the health service, and they basically act as a kind of governing board for doctors. There is no regulation on physician associates. They don't answer to anyone because they're so new. We don't have laws in place. If something goes wrong, what what, you know? How do you complain about one? 
it's it's really unclear because technically the responsibility is the GP or the mm. doctor who the physician associate works under. And are there are there standards? Are they do they have to adhere to any kind of standard? Are they? There are rough standards put out by the Royal College of Practitioners, which is a kind of membership organisation for all medical workers, but those aren't legally binding, mm. and they're. They're more guidelines. They're, they're not rules. Uh, my favourite bit of your your work over the last couple of weeks was what the Department of Health said. Um, you know, they came back calling them highly trained, these physician associates. They were completely unrepentant about mm. the fact that they were um, unregulated. And they, they changed something in the wording, didn't they? They retracted something. They, they wanted to correct their language. Yeah. Because they realised they'd, they'd also overstepped. So they initially sent us a response saying that these highly trained medics were helping cut NHS waiting lists and allowing GPs to see more patients than they were seeing before. They then hurriedly asked me to not include that in the story because they, what they wanted to say was they want the statement they initially they ended up putting out was that physician associates helped GPs continue delivering the high quality service that they always deliver. Right. So the inference in the initial statement was that physician associates were, you know, seeing patients. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And they didn't want to employ that. Yeah. And it it also shows a massive disconnect between government and doctors on the ground because the government and the NHS keeps calling these workers highly trained and saying people shouldn't be criticising them. And yet yet junior doctors are not seen by other doctors as highly trained and no. they've had way more experience. So. No, and there's been massive revolts within the NHS about this. This week, the Royal College of Anaesthetists overwhelmingly voted against the use of physician associates in anaesthetics. 80% of them said they didn't want them in the room with them because that's how worried they were about patient safety. Mm-hmm. And you've uncovered something even more shocking this week, haven't you? Yeah, so after we published our story last week about physician associates, I was contacted by a junior doctor who works in London who wanted to tell us and the world about the fact that physician associates at his hospital were regularly asking junior doctors to prescribe drugs for them. Now, this isn't illegal per se, but it's bending the rules, it's a grey area because these workers aren't trained to write prescriptions. And it would appear that in certain hospitals, physician associates are essentially writing prescriptions because they're getting junior doctors to do it for them. So they're they're telling them what to they're telling them what to write. Yes. And, and they're That's taking nuts. it's it's insane. And it also shows that the junior doctors who see themselves as junior to the point where they are taking the advice of a physician associates. So the physician Sorry. associates believe that they themselves are highly trained mm. to the point where they are turning to people with five, six, seven years more experience than them and saying, I need you to do this. I need you to write me a prescription. And then that responsibility, if that prescription goes wrong and the patient gets the wrong drug, isn't on the physician associate, it's on the junior doctor. Well, let's hear from that doctor now. Joining us on the line now is Dr. Jahinda Hare, a London-based junior doctor. Dr. Hare, thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you. So you got in touch this week to raise your concerns about physician associates. Maybe the best place to start is, do you think including these workers in the health system is a good idea? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's a very important topic and it's something the wider media, I do think, is, is discussing. I think it's just come to prominence how much of an issue this is. But to answer your question, to start off with, no, physicians assistants do not have a place in the healthcare system. Initially, they were sold to the medical professionals, people that would do, you know, what we call scut work, general ward-based jobs, taking the administrative burden off doctors so we can do more clinical practice. And PAs were initially sold to us to address these concerns and to take that administrative load and burden off of us. Now, what we've seen actually is an increase in the scope of practice where these individuals are taking on more complicated roles. They are taking on greater clinical duties. They are taking on clinical tasks, which are associated with you know, quite significant risks sometimes. For example, complicated procedures, you know, lumbar punctures, for example. A lumbar puncture is essentially a large needle that is inserted into the lower portion of the spine. So you imagine the spine is, is composed of you know, many, many vertebral bones. And between them is a small space where you insert the needle and have to be done in perfectly aseptic conditions. That sounds complicated and risky. It is. It is, absolutely. It requires a lot of clinical skill, a lot of precision, but also it requires an in-depth level of anatomical knowledge, where you're going, precisely where you're putting the needle, and also some of the risks associated with it, infections, bleeding, a rapid drop in blood pressure. And you have to be able to manage all these risks, of course. So, you know, physicians associates doing a lot of these complicated procedures without adequate supervision, without the adequate pre-existing knowledge is a real issue. So this is something you've seen yourself then? You've seen PAs carry out lumbar punctures? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And oftentimes, it's actually these opportunities are given to them in favour of uh, more junior doctors because they are so embedded in the team. So, so with junior doctors, we have to rotate every four months into new jobs, into new hospitals as well. You know, which is an issue in itself, uprooting your entire life to move somewhere completely different. But the problem that leads to is that you're not quite embedded in the hospital infrastructure or the team dynamic. Whereas physicians' associates are primarily based in one hospital, primarily based in one department, and they get to know a lot of the team, the senior clinical staff, the consultants, on a more personable basis. So oftentimes they are chosen in favour of more junior doctors to carry out does that mean they have more? They, they tend to have more confidence in what they're doing than perhaps the junior doctors? Precisely. You know, one thing that medical school teaches doctors, you know, in a, in a very good way actually, is that it's not quite how much knowledge you know, it, it's the knowledge you don't know. So doctors have this level of escalation in their mind. If we don't know something, we escalate. With physicians associates, I, I don't think you can quite appreciate what you don't know in a two-year clinical skills course. You know, you don't have the breadth and the depth of knowledge that a doctor would have. So you end up with this precarious situation where you have an abundance of confidence, but then a relative scarcity of competence. And that creates a really dangerous precedent, actually, for someone that is acting beyond their means, beyond their scope and beyond their knowledge, with very little repercussions. Do you mean dangerous for patients? Yes, absolutely, yeah. Can you kind of expand on why that is dangerous for patients? Yeah, of course. So... If, for example, I'm, I'm seeing a patient and I have the, the depth and the breadth of knowledge across medicine, across the different organ systems, to come to an understanding that perhaps this patient is more complicated than what I'm used to dealing with. 
I will then escalate this patient to the right specialty and also the right grade of doctor as well. So perhaps a more senior doctor, a registrar or a consultant in the appropriate specialty. Now, if I had quite a narrow vision of medicine and if I was very tunnel vision and focusing on one particular organ system or one particular presentation in front of me and ignoring everything else, I don't think I would quite be able to appreciate the complexity that a patient is presenting with. And therefore, you know, I think you get quite tunnel visioned and I don't think you escalate. Uh, and I've seen this, you know, A&E, for example, where you have a completely undifferentiated patient presenting to you for the first time with a new problem. And you really have to utilize your clinical judgment skills, whether you're going to admit this patient or discharge them. And you're saying PAs are involved at that level as well? Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, there are emergency departments where they are involved in research, which the most complicated, sickest patients actually come through to research. Um, they're, they're managed by physician associates. And Rhesus, I, it, can you, sorry, sorry, Dr. Can you explain that again for our listeners? So in the emergency department, you present the ED and you are seen by a clinician. But for the very sick patients that are either blue lighted as in they come in by ambulance or there is an immediate threat to life, they are often escalated straight to the resuscitation, so the research area that's allocated to ED. So these are sick patients that require more monitoring, more intensive mm. nursing, and always a clinician on site. Traditionally, this role is done by a, a senior doctor, a registrar, or sometimes more junior doctors that are, are feeling comfortable and there is a senior on, on hand and available. But now we're actually seeing physician, physicians associates and also advanced nurse practitioners also take on this role. Um, so these are very complicated patients, and oftentimes they end up in intensive care units and they're at risk of severe deterioration in their clinical condition as well. So, you know, they're essentially being managed by people with a, a two-year degree, and I, I don't quite understand how we've come to this point. It's very much like practicing third-world medicine in a first-world country with complete deregulation of standards. Can I ask, how long does it take to learn to do something like a lumbar puncture you know, is it conceivable that a, physici- a physician associate could do that? Or is, it, is that always going to be something that a doctor should do or a nurse should do? So these clinical skills, are, I'm going to say, are actually picked up with, with relative ease. You know, we have a, we have a phrase in, in the NHS. It may stem from a lack of medical education or it may stem from, you know, being very pressured and having a very limited time span on your hands. But it's see one, do one, teach one. The skills in themselves actually picked up with relative ease. I think if you do it enough times with repetition, you know, you will eventually get to grips with it. I think the problem lies when you do your clinical skill, you do have you know, you perform the skill and something goes wrong. Now that's very unlikely to happen, but it does happen. But the level of risk escalates with the complexity of the procedure. And I think the problem lies when something does go wrong and you're not entirely sure how to manage the situation. So, for example, with the lumbar puncture, you know, it requires a, a good knowledge of, of anatomy. But when something goes wrong, you have to be able to manage those, those um, you know, complex problems. And that's why I think the physician associate really, you know, really falls down, actually. So it's not when things go right, it's when things go wrong. 
And I, I suppose it's, you know, a parallel could be with a new driver that, you know, you can pass your test quite quickly and get the get the skills, but you're much more likely to have an accident. And part of that is that, that you aren't able to, you know, d- deal with the complex situations that arise that a more experienced driver would, I, I guess. Precisely, precisely. And, you know, I, I would, that's a great analogy, actually. So now I would actually add on to that and say that, you know, it, it's almost like taking a new novice driver and putting them in a Ferrari around a racetrack. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're taking someone with some junior level skill and putting them in a, a complicated situation. You know, it's, uh, they're not going to perform quite as well as a racing car driver. And that's the difference. So, so you've you've worked with physician associates. Um, I feel like there's slightly the spectre in this story. What's going on? Is it hubris or are they simply being put in these impossible situations because there are no doctors around and they're the only ones, you know, in front of patients? So, so what I would say is that, um, you know, I think there is a, an agenda to address the workforce crisis that the NHS is in. And this workforce crisis really comes from a, first of all, I think a lack of understanding by a lot of our political leaders on, you know, how, how medicine itself actually works. You know, we have bottlenecks in training. We have very poor retention. The NHS is competing on a global scale with international healthcare systems. And quite frankly, we're failing due to our pay and working conditions and so forth. So I think there's an agenda to address that crisis. But what I would argue is that in an attempt to bring down the sky-high historic waiting list, there's no point doing it with individuals that are woefully unqualified and Essentially, what you may end up with is that you have a you know waiting list that's coming down, but a mortality that's going up. And I don't think that's quite the the right approach. But but what are they what are they like? You know, are are these people simply arrogant, or you know, are they the only ones that that are there, so they have to do something? I mean, you know, I, I want to know how sympathetic to feel to people that misdiagnose brain hemorrhages as tension headaches. Yeah, yeah. So. What I would argue is you know, a lot of physicians associates on an individual basis. I mean, we're talking about the systemic problem, but on an individual basis, they are decent folks that just want to be there and do the right thing, essentially. They have good intentions, I suspect. The issue is, I think they are a product of the system, which has embedded in them that they are doing a five-year or six-year medical degree in two years. That's simply not the case. And I think they are also fed this misinformation that they have equivalent to a junior doctor. I think they have a lack of understanding as to what a junior doctor does. And I think that really embeds a level of self-confidence in them. Again, with that lack of competence that comes with a two-year essentially clinical skills course, I think it breeds a level of arrogance and a, a level of confidence. But I blame the education and I blame the system as opposed to the individual but probably just wants to be there and does a, a good job like most people in the NHS. So I think it's a product of the system that they've been created in. Dr. Hare, you also have concerns about the role physician associates are playing in prescribing and how they work with junior doctors to hand out medicines. Can you tell us a bit about that? Absolutely. So just to preface this, physicians associates cannot prescribe you know, they don't have the legal right to prescribe yet. That may be changing, actually, in short-term future. I think there is a move to get them to prescribe. The issue is there are loopholes around this. So prescribing is, you know, something that, that doctors do on a, on a day-to-day basis, essentially, reduce all the time. 
but there are inherent risks involved. It does take a level of risk stratification and also you know, weighing up pros and cons. It's always the case in medicine. But there are loopholes where physicians associates can you know, take advantage of prescribing, essentially. I've been in situations where I've had my prescription change in a paper drug chart where, uh, you know, where, it's, where it's easier to do, where my prescription has been changed to the incorrect drug with the incorrect dosage. So it was actually a blood pressure medication that was changed to very old-fashioned blood pressure medication that we, we tend not to use very much. Uh, I've never seen it be used clinically at four times the maximum dosage. Now, I, I don't know... Why would that, why would that be done? Uh, I have no idea what went through this individual's mind. And you know they were definitely a physician associate who did that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Did you confront them? I did escalate this, actually. I did escalate this. I'm not sure anything came of it. I'm not sure anything came of it. And this precisely demonstrates the problem with having unregulated individuals in roles that require stringent regulation because they don't, they're not answerable to a regulator. And I think that's what that happens. You also were telling me, Doctor, about how they do, quote-unquote, prescribing rounds with junior doctors. Yeah, yeah. So I've seen situations where physicians associates, again, that are embedded in the team, you know, have the, the ear of the uh, consultants that they're working with, they have worked with for a prolonged amount of time. And when a new doctor, you know, maybe a, a week, a month, a couple of months into the job, starts, everything is new. You know, everything is fresh, everything's new. And you don't quite understand what is and what isn't acceptable from other members of the team. And I've seen situations where physicians associates will take a junior doctor, an F1, for example, who's new in the job, and take them on a prescribing round, you know, get them to prescribe X, Y, Z. And I think the problem is doctors almost have this uh, pathological level of humility. And we're imbued from the very beginning to respect the multidisciplinary team and the, the autonomy of various different clinical practitioners. So we have that understanding going into the job. It's a bit hard to distinguish what is and what isn't acceptable. That comes with experience of working in the NHS. So yeah, I've seen you know that I've seen that happen where they will take a young doctor and, and get them to prescribe X Y Z for them. And the problem is the doctor is answerable to the GMC, you know, which is a stringent regulator. You know, we've got many opinions on the GMC and their multitude of failings. But when you prescribe something irrespective of who ordered it. If, it. if it's your name on that prescription, ultimately you are liable if something goes wrong. And that creates a really quite dangerous situation and a, a real power hierarchy between physicians associates embedded in a team structure and new doctors just entering the NHS. Talking about this probably won't make you uh, a, a big hero in the physician associate community. Why do you feel strongly about talking about it? Well, we're all patients from time to time. Nobody's immune to that. You know, illness is, is a misfortune. We're all patients. And I sometimes think about my my parents. So I come from a working class background. And I think about them going to hospital. I would want them to receive world class care. I want them to receive you know, good quality care from a doctor. I do think it is radical or revolutionary to say that you go to a hospital and you're seen by a qualified doctor. The thought of them being seen to by someone that is woefully unqualified, does not have equivalent to a doctor, and is just there to prevent a collapsing system from you know, absolutely falling apart. 
And I think about the tragic events like Emily Chesterton, for example, the, the young lady who was misdiagnosed by the, the PA in, in a GP setting. I think about these and I, I would hate for that to be one of my family members or my friends. I'm resolute in the belief that healthcare is a universal right, but good quality healthcare. And I think everyone should be entitled to it. Dr. Chinder Hare, thank you very much for joining us. It was very good to talk to you. No problem. What strikes me in all this is that it, it seems unclear as to what the role of the physician associate is, and I think that that's the major problem in all of this, and, and I presume regulation would, would sort that out. 100%. We spoke to the Royal College of GPs last week who said they were broadly supportive of the idea. They just wanted strict regulations on what these workers can and can't do. I think that's sensible. You know, I mean, if they are going to be specialist lumbar puncture physician associates you know, they need to have an extra six months of training to deal with, you know, the crash cart situations for when, you know, it looks like, you know, fluids leaked out or, you know, that that something's gone wrong or you've hit a nerve or so you can spot those problems, know what to do, know who to call, you know, and that's all in place. Because, I mean, these are kind of repetitious technical jobs but you know, I mean, it's 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 similar to we we have a situation with cosmetic injectables, for mm. instance, and ninety nine point nine percent of these procedures will be, you know, no matter what you think about what people end up looking like after them, <laughs> that the, they will be uncomplicated. However, you know, in these very rare cases, you might inject something around someone's eye, hit a blood vessel, a bit of you know g- gum filler, whatever it is, floats into a blood vessel blocks an optic nerve uh, and then someone goes blind and you know you need to know a you're not injecting in those areas so you need to be very competent which your hairdresser might not be Mm. and you need to have a system in place to deal with a blob of of filler or something like that that's migrated into the wrong place to stop it from from going any further and you know that might involve injections of another drug and, and knowing how to spot skin changes that indicate that etc they call it a crash cart i think that's a really fair point i also think a lot of doctors might say that this might be a good example of why junior doctors should do more actual procedural work a lot of junior doctors right now will just be filling out forms and doing the kind of grunt work which senior consultants don't want to do because that's just the structure you start off doing the kind of the stuff no one wants to do and eventually when you're senior enough you get to take on the more fun stuff Mm. but if physician associates are kind of making that whole system redundant, why not get more junior doctors out there on the floor doing the lumbar punctures? Mm. Yeah, I mean, or you have other kinds of healthcare. I mean, because it's it's not a doctor necessarily who does your MRI scan. You know, these are people who specialise in, in giving scans. Mm. And I think also things like endoscopies aren't always done by doctors. I could be totally wrong. Don't quote me on this. I'd have to look it up. I think that's true. I think the final say, the final sign-off is is a consultant, but the actual procedure, procedure is done by yeah. a specialist who does just that procedure. Yeah, a kind of senior nurse of some sort. Yeah, I don't even know if they're actually. They might be a nurse who retrains, or they yeah. could. I think it's. I think it's a similar kind of thing. So, so you know, I'm just thinking. It it feels like it just hasn't been given any thought. And so these people are just out there and, and June, in June they said, actually, we'll have 10,000 of them instead of just 2,000 mm. and, and that'll solve everything. We definitely need to get creative. I mean, we just 
aren't going to find enough doctors. I mean, if what what we were mm. saying earlier, seventeen thousand GPs, you can't imagine Each those up out of needing 10, 15 years training. Yeah. Exactly, and then you need them to stay in the health system and not move to Australia, for example. It's impossible that we're going to find those people in the next five years. So we've got to do something out of the box, but it can't be something which puts people's health at risk. Well, you can read all about this and more in this weekend's Mail on Sunday, which you can consume in newspaper format on mailplus.co.uk or on the Mail app. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.